0: Hmm. How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 269 of X-Lapsed, where, uh... Huh. Hmm. Well, uh, you know, uh, a few episodes ago, I talked about, like, my... I gave advice for how to go about doing the podcasting thing, and, uh, talked about how it's not always the easiest thing in the world to do. Sometimes it can be kind of a chore. And, well, um, hmm... Yeah, today's one of those days uh, You know, it's always the way Where, like, I'm like in, in like a Like a mode where Everything's kind of falling into place with the show And I'm ahead of schedule And I'm I'm writing scripts that I'm not even going to Record for a few days I'm recording things ahead of time And then I hit a roadblock You know, the roadblock has been Books like X-Corp It's been books like Excalibur and now it's books like X-Men Unlimited, if we can even call it a book. Um, now I want to preface, uh, you know, Jerry Duggan, I like him as a writer a lot. I really, really do. I've long advocated that he, you know, get the crown of head of X. You know, I, I really like his work. So this is a hard one for me because this is, well, in my opinion, uh the opposite of good. Not good. Um The Art Here, Emilio Lazo really good art. It's just unfortunate that it's in this story. And as I like to preface when I'm discussing a book that I have uh, you know, problems or challenges with, um, if the fact that I don't like this story offends you personally, if you're not comfortable hearing dissenting opinions, this might not be the episode for you. So if that's the case, hey, we're still friends. <laughs> no harm, no foul. You could skip this episode and uh, honestly not miss much. But, For all the rest of you who are ready to be lectured and talked down to and made to feel like horrible humans, I mean, all humans are horrible, we're going to find out. Well, not all, but most humans are horrible, we're going to find out. If you just want that reinforced over and over again, stay tuned, because we're going to get into X-Men Unlimited, Volume 3, Number 7. We're going to call this one October 2021, since that's when it hit the app. Uh, This is an untitled story, but we will call it X-Men Green, Part 3. Written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Emilio Lazo. Lazo? Uh, Colors, Rachel Rosenberg, letters, VCs, Joe Sabino, edits, Amaro, Bisa, White, Cebulski, went on the app on October 11th, 2021. Now we open somewhere in the Dakotas. Now, this is an area that was bought by the Cynodyne Oil Company. Uh, Good thing I brought my umbrella. I feel like the anvils are already falling here. Uh, This, uh, you know, evil Evil company is affecting climate change, and uh, you know they all know it. They know what they're doing, but they don't care because um, late-stage capital. I, did I did I accidentally click on Reddit? I I don't know. So we've got this dude, right? He works for the the cyanide, I mean the cyanodyne oil company, and he's working on a pipeline, right? Then a uh, peaceful protester hurls a rock at the back of his head to get his attention. When he turns around, the rock hurler says that they, quote, respectfully ask him to stop. Respectfully? By throwing a rock at a dude's head? You know, I don't know protest etiquette, but, uh, I think, like, maybe an excuse me would work? Pardon me? Hey, you? I don't know. Naturally, the worker, who is drawn with everything but horns, hooves, and a forked tail, lunges at the peaceful rock-throwing protesters and attacks. Before we know it, all the workers are in the fracas, wailing away with pipe wrenches. Could we argue that this is self-defense? I mean, let me ask you all. Let's say you're working, and then some asshole pegs you in the head with a rock. How are you going to react? You know, even if you turn around and say, I respectfully ask you to do something, you're probably going to be kind of ticked off, right? Anyway, the fight persists until Nature Girl and Curse show up. And I think last time I might have misgendered the spiky-headed pink Simpsons character As a boy, Curse is a girl And actually the hype girl for, uh, for Nature Girl Now, if this wasn't subtle enough Because, I mean, we are dealing with some subtlety One of the workers charges at our heroes Yelling, quote, we get bonuses for breaking hippie skulls We get bonuses for breaking hippie skulls I mean, you kidding me? This is almost got to be parody, right? I- I'm thinking maybe Jerry Duggan actually hates the environment and the green movement. I mean, that's got to be it, right? Anyway, Curse uses their powers to trip the fella. And he falls backwards, cracking his head open on a rock, and I think he dies. And to be honest, I kind of hope so, because that means we get to throw Curse and Nature Girl in the hole. Um, then <laughs> the workers say, The hippies brought muties. <laughs> I mean, what? That was a line of dialogue that was written into a script and then lettered into the book. Or the, the I guess the, whatever the, we're calling these things. But I mean, huh? Okay. Uh, nature Girl then summons a bunch of bees to attack the workers. <laughs> and one of the workers cries out, oh no, I'm allergic. I mean, this has got to be parody, right? We're, getting, we're just getting pranked here. Uh, Nature Girl officially names her sad little team X-Men Green here She then asks one of the peaceful protesters uh, None of whom actually appear to be any of the worse for wear Despite having been clubbed with pipe wrenches for a bit there She asks what the other, what's on the other end of the pipeline that these workers are working on And uh, it's apparently a refinery and it's just a few kilometers away So, kilometers, uh, that sounds so much more cultured than miles, doesn't it? Anyway, before they can get going, Nature Girl... Kills a man with her antlers Though in fairness, this time it was in self-defense She then spends a couple panels mourning the death of a bee Uh, Kirsten steals the workers' lunches and they eat sandwiches Which I'm gonna go out on a limb and assume have meat in them Um, Nature Girl says that she feels more alive than ever right now We then engage in a scrolling endeavor Where we follow the girls as they walk along the pipeline And all the while they're talking about how horrible humans are to which Nature Girl says, they're not all bad Well, gee, thanks um, You know, I hate to be that guy But if this conversation was happening between two humans Talking about mutants in the Marvel Universe They'd most definitely be looked at as the villains And, you know, if I had any sort of hope That this was going to end up with Nature Girl learning something um, Then I'd be okay with this sort of a dialogue But I, I don't see that happening So, um, yeah, it's kind of rough Uh, Now, after a painful bunch of word balloons, uh, and uh, that's kind of saying something here, Nature Girl warns that Wolverine is after them. Now, Curse says that she will pull one whopper of a curse on him when he shows up. This facilitates a scene shift to Big Sur, California, where Wolverine has followed Nature Girl's scent. Now, here's the thing, and we really got to um, use our uh, suspension of disbelief here. Nature Girl tied her blazer to some dogs And then sent them west To throw Wolverine off her scent So I mean, Wolverine, he's kind of good at this, right? But we're supposed to believe that He can't tell the difference between an actual body And body odor that might be on a blazer? If that's the case How confusing must it be for him on laundry day? I mean, he must not know what's what Anyway, that's where we leave it And, uh yeah, it's to be continued, and I peeked at the next chapter, and that one's to be continued, too, so, uh, yeah, we're, uh, not anywhere near the end of this one. So, um, do we all feel, uh, suitably guilty? Do we all feel really bad about ourselves? I think, uh, that's kind of the intended purpose of this story, um, you know, Jerry, Jerry, I love you. Like I said at the start of the show, I thought you were suited to be the head of X here. I really like your stuff, I think you're a fantastic writer! But this feels like you're repurposing Like an essay you wrote in the 7th grade I think I said this last time out. But who is this story for? Like Like we talked about I think we talked about the two audiences for this story Last time we discussed Unlimited Where like you're going to have the group of people Who are going to be like rah 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 You know absolutely yes 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 Who really don't need this kind of story Thrown at them Or it's going to be the people who are Not really into the environment at all Who are just going to hate the story based on that fact But for the rest of us, you know, those of us who care about the environment And do our part to protect it and clean it And limit our impact on it This comes across as, I mean, petulant Petulant is probably the word for this And like I said during the synopsis If I had any sort of hope that this was going to lead to, like, Nature Girl Maybe seeing that it's not quite as black and white as she sees it now Then I'd be okay with it, because it would be like a coming-of-age sort of thing It would be like a moment of profundity sort of deal Um, I'm not convinced that's the case, though I could be wrong, I hope I am I really, really hope I am But the direction that this is going at current And again, I could be completely wrong And again, I hope I am I just feel like this is a lecture A heavy-handed and uh, condescending lecture and I don't presume that that opinion is going to win me any friends here. But, uh, you know, I do care about the environment. I do my part. And, uh, I mean, I actually spent near a decade running a recycling plant. Which kind of takes me to the next point I wanted to make here. Because uh, we talk about black and white, right? How, you know, one thing is good, one thing is bad. There's no in-between. Um, hmm, you know, I, I hate to break it to people, but... You know, a lot of environmental endeavors, uh, they are capitalist in nature. You know, they are for profit. And I mean, I don't want to get into discussions of capitalism here because that's a, that's a futile venture. But environmentalism is big business now. And don't get me wrong, I know what this story is going for at its core, right? I mean, you know how I talk about earnestness and how I am a sucker for earnestness. This is, at the end of the day, a very earnest story. It has something it wants to provoke in us. And perhaps I'm reacting exactly the way this uh, story was intended to be received. But I also think a story like this needs to be subtle and nuanced to the point where it doesn't just make you react. It actually just—it makes you think. It makes you consider things. It makes you have realizations rather than, you know, just (laughs) seeing— The hippies brought muties. Oh, we get we get bonuses for killing hippies. What? I mean... <laughs> I think I talked about this last time, but this brought me back to the Green Lantern, Green Arrow thing, where we had, like, a tenement donor who, rather than just being a crappy human or a conflicted human or a human who's driven by money rather than empathy for his fellow man, he was an evil alien, which to me totally undermines any message the story was trying to deliver. And... I feel like that was kind of the case here as well. Um, You know, a a good, I guess, very special issue or very special episode is supposed to make you think, and we don't get that opportunity here. I think that does the story and the message a disservice. This could have been told far better had it uh, maybe reined itself in a little bit. You know, maybe that's just uh, the experimental nature of the Infinity Comics. Perhaps Marvel's a little bit more willing to to push things on the uh, digital platform rather than something that will be on a store shelf somewhere. Though, I mean, that really hasn't stopped them in the past either. I don't know, you know, rather than just repeat myself over and over again, um, I guess I'll just leave it with, I think this could have been done far better had it not devolved into a very condescending lecture. And uh, we'll just leave it at that. The art was nice, (laughs) I'll say that, but... uh, yeah, we will put a pin in X-Men Unlimited for now. Uh, we still have a second story to look at, and that's It's Jeff number 7. We're going to say October 2021, stories called Thief for Justice. Written by Kelly Thompson, with art by Guri and Edits Go Wacker or Cebalski, appeared on the app on October the 8th, 2021. So this one opens with uh, Captain America looking for his shield. And, uh, though, you know, a few episodes ago, a few issues of this ago, um, Jeff did swipe the shield to sled on, I don't think this is a callback to that, uh, it looks like maybe Jeff just regularly steals the thing From here we shift over to the other Hawkeye, who realizes that her arrows have been stolen And, as I say every time, can we talk about how annoying it is to have two characters named Hawkeye? And do I ask that every time we see Kate Bishop, and will I continue to say that every time we see Kate Bishop? Yes and yes. Um, next up, Miles Morales notices that his mask is missing. <clears throat> Can we talk about how annoying it is to have two characters named Spider-Man? Do I mention that every time we see Miles? Will I continue to every time we see Miles? Actually, I don't know that I do. I don't know that I do. It's not like the, uh, the Kate thing. Anyway, from here we pop in on Doctor Strange, who is uh, taking a break from dying, I guess, to uh, note that the Eye of Agamotto is missing. Next, Falcon realizes that his wings are missing. Then the Black Widow can't find her bracelet thing. And so, all of our heroes decide that they ought to visit Deadpool. Who, I guess, is still Jeff's keeper, despite the fact that that volume's over? I don't know. Or maybe they just think Wade stole all their stuff. That's also a possibility. In any event, Deadpool lets the heroes search his room. And it's worth noting here that Kate gets a a big ol' whiff of Wade's drawers... Like, why would you ever pick up a pair of dirty underwear off of somebody's floor? That's That just seems foolish. Or, I mean, I'm not here to kink shame. Anyway, we wrap up with the reveal. And, of course, the reveal is that Jeff the Landshark stole all their stuff and is playing superhero. And, well, that's where we leave it. And, as I say pretty much every time we talk about Jeff, uh, Jeff the Landshark's stories don't really lend themselves to analysis, but, um... I'm still happy that they exist, because I'm a fan of the character. I think it's a, an adorable little concept. Fun little stories, nice little palate cleansers, right? It takes some of the bad taste that might have been left in my mouth from uh, X-Men Unlimited. It takes some of that away, which is always a good thing. That said, I think if they could find a way to, like, do, like, the dogman treatment to Jeff the Land Shark, You know, get... get Get Jeff in the uh, kids' section of the bookstores and maybe into, like, the Scholastic news or the Scholastic book order thing. I think that would be a really good thing to do. And, I, I mean, I talk about that every time Jeff comes up, but it would be a wise play to get Jeff into as many hearts and minds as possible. I think the next generation of Marvel readership may depend on it. I hope I'm not overstating it, but, uh... Yeah, that's about all I have to say about this story It was cute, it was cute It's nice to see um, Jeff interacting with the other characters It was cool to see Deadpool there These are nice, you know, fluffy, bite-sized palate cleansers And sometimes that's what you need Especially after being lectured about how horrible we are So, anyway, (laughs) I really enjoyed Jeff as per usual Now before we get out of here, we do have mailbag to get into So let's hop right in We're going to start with Evan talking about X-Force number 21 Evan says I like this issue because it felt like An issue of an ongoing comic book series It told a story that fit in with the ongoing plot lines But didn't feel like just another chapter in one long trade Or two-volume omnibus Like you, I enjoy when creators pick up threads from other series and stories to continue them Even when it's not the original story or format And if I'm remembering correctly uh, This was the manslaughter two-parter that, that kicked off Which, yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Man-Thing you know, I think Man-Thing is kind of a, a duller character, but I kind of dug the manslaughter stuff. I, I like that, uh, that Percy was able to pick up from something he'd created a couple years ago and kind of tie it in here. I thought, I thought for a moment that they were going to make manslaughter like an official, unofficial member of X-Force. Like, uh, like we had like Deathlock back in the Uncanny X Force days. Uh, a, a character from the broader Marvel Universe just kind of, uh, kind of brought in, kind of tied in. I thought that they might do that with Manslaughter here, and hell, you know, they, they still might somewhere down the line. Now, Evan continues Zeno feels a lot like Fulcrum or whatever that ever changing spy organization in Chuck was. A constant villainous presence, so them popping back in doesn't really bother me. But you're right, they haven't done much to stand out as villains. I mean, yes, some of what they did, that they did was brutal, but outside of McHale and Captain Peacock, they've mainly just consisted of generic Wetworks guys or X-Men copies. Maybe they should change their name to Xerox. And yeah, I mean, we've had slow burns before, right? We've had slow reveals, we've had things build to the point where, you know, the big reveal happens or the big climax happens, but I really think that we need maybe some more breadcrumbs than what we're getting here, and I, I can't blame... Uh, Ben Percy for this, I can't blame Creative for this because I mean, we keep getting these crossovers We keep getting, you know, sideswiped By stories that need to be told Uh, Every, it feels like every few Months, X-Force kinda goes on Break to serve as a second issue Of Wolverine, which may or may Not be, you know, the intentional all along But I don't think it helps the flow Of the story, and it certainly doesn't help With the, uh, is conciseness The right word? Um, We've just been building this way too long To the point where, you know, we get to that that pivot point You know, it's like, you build, you build, you build, you build To the point where we actually, like, really want to know the answer And then we keep building And then by the time it's going to be revealed I feel like we might all just be over it at that point Which, I mean, that's unfortunate For something that's being built for so long, it's Kind of feeling like it was derailed And of course we had the COVID hiatus uh, Which pushed everything all out of whack And then we had the X of Swords event Which blew up from What was it supposed to be like a 12-parter Into a 22-parter Then we have the Hellfire Gala And now we have the, the reboots coming up Or the relaunches coming up It's, it's a tough time to be a, uh, a part of a big family of books, I think Especially when you're not necessarily the flagship Which is weird Because when we started this um, story When we started this era and we read the first issues of the original six books that launched as a part of Dawn of X I saw X-Forces potentially being the uh, flagship book Like the book that we were supposed to follow Since it, that first issue had just so much going on in it What with the death of Xavier And we actually had a team that was mostly comprised of You know, not X-Force characters, but X-Men characters Gene, Beast, Colossus was on the cover Even though he didn't really do much Wolverine, it actually felt like It might be like the X-Men team Of the era And, uh, well, it didn't really turn out that way Anyway, hopefully by the time the Zeno thing Or Xeno thing actually happens It it packs enough of a punch To make us care And make the uh, wait feel a little bit uh, more worthwhile But thank you so much for taking the time To write in, Evan I always enjoy hearing from you Now, speaking of which, we got us a letter from our friend Jason. We haven't heard from Jason in a while, so he's got a lot to discuss with us here. So Jason says, I feel like I perpetually have an email to you half-composed in my head. And then, before I get around to sending it, half of those items age out of whatever relevance they once had, and I think of just enough new stuff to get back to a half-composed email again. So today is the day to clear out my mental notebook. Relevance and timeliness be damned. And, uh... Hey, no one's ever going to confuse me with relevance, so (laughs) anything you want to send, I'm cool with. Uh, Jason starts by talking about Infinity Comics, to which he says, I'm mostly just glad that Marvel is recognizing that the future is going to be increasingly digital. I'm not super thrilled with what they're doing digitally so far, but glad that they're doing something. Are you at all familiar with the distinguished competitors' efforts in this direction? They launched their own natively digital, phone-screen-friendly comics at, exactly, at almost exactly the same time that Marvel did. The big difference is that instead of putting them on their own app and using their own established writers and artists, DC has partnered with an outfit called Webtoons and hired talent linked to that ecosystem. I'd never heard of webtoons before, but it seems that they're pretty amazingly successful, particularly with the youth, and particularly in Asia. Wikipedia says that they have 35 million monthly monthly users, which seems like a lot. You won't be surprised that DC's first offering is bat-themed. Yeah, go go figure, right? You might be a little surprised that the title, Wayne Family Adventures, is a slice-of-life comedy with zero angst and so far not even any criminals. Here's the plot of a typical character, and I swear I'm not making this up. The Bat Fam returns from a night of unseen crime fighting to lightheartedly compete with each other over who gets the last of a plate of Alfred's cookies. That's it. Is it rocking my world? Not really. But it's diverting enough to scroll through while waiting in a post-apocalyptic line to have a stranger stick a cotton swab up one's nose, which is how I experienced it. Spoiler, turns out I just have allergies. Well, that is good to hear. And something I can definitely sympathize with because, uh, For a little bit there, I thought I had something, but it turned out to just be really, really wicked allergies myself. Uh, Jason continues. It seems noteworthy that DC is bringing its characters over to where online comic readers already are, while Marvel is taking its existing comics customers and trying to introduce them to web-based comics. The DC approach seems more forward-thinking, but time will tell. Jason also shares a link to the uh, Webtoons uh, title here, and I will include that in the show notes. Hopefully I won't forget, but uh, if I forget, let me know, <laughs> and uh, I, will, uh, I will try to get that to you as best I can. Now, to Jason's point, I agree with him 100% here. This kind of feels like um, you know newsstand versus the direct market in, in a like 21st century sort of way. DC is definitely, and I give DC a lot of crap A lot of guff of late um, For exploiting brands rather than characters For jumping into controversy to create cash DC kind of seems more interested in headline baiting Than actually telling good stories And that's my opinion, my opinion I feel like Marvel was the same way And Marvel is still, I mean comics and as an industry Is still very much that way But let's look at the difference in methodologies here Now, Marvel is doing what comics have been doing for a quarter of a century now. Putting more product where less people go, right? You know, when when the New 52 hit, people were saying like, oh, you know, DC blew away the charts that month because all these new people came into the shops. When it really wasn't, that wasn't the complete truth. Sure, sure, the New 52 did introduce Some new readers to DC And it did bring people in out of curiosity But the long-term sales charts revealed That it was mostly people who were already In the store You know, it didn't really broaden the readership As much as Perhaps they thought it did It was people who were in there picking up their Marvels Picking up their Indies Maybe people who were picking up DC books before And they were swept into the hype You know, they were the the Curiosity killed the cat They saw something and saw a new number one saw the start of a new era, and they bought into the hype, and they were interested. They were curious about what it was going to be. Is it a smart play? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, it's a smart play, but it's also a case of it is what it is, and it isn't what it isn't. And again, I'm not saying that there weren't people who came in off the street to buy New 52 stuff, or any big comics launch. Curiosity is always going to be a thing, but... You're more likely to sample comics if you're already in the comics ecosphere, if you're already in the stores, if you're already regularly a customer, or this is in your rotation, you know, you're going to be more apt to try things. That's what Marvel's doing. If you're already part of Marvel Unlimited, you're already paying your monthly or your yearly uh, dues, well, then this is a little bit of extra for you, right? And... We won't even discuss things like the introduction of a tier system because I feel like that's probably the way all digital media is going. It's going to be just as bad, if not worse, than cable TV. And uh, we're just uh, gleefully following the Pied Piper, uh, very proud of ourselves, patting ourselves on the back for cutting the cord when, at the end of the day, I think we're going to be paying far more (laughs) with all these uh, streaming services and uh, digital outlets. Now, I don't know that we'll ever get... You know, sales figures or subscription figures for Marvel Unlimited So I don't know if we'll see that there was a big jump Frankly, with everything that's been given to us with the Infinity Comics If you weren't already paying for Marvel Unlimited, I wouldn't suggest you do it for these At least not yet Now let's hop over to DC's side And this is actually the first time I'm hearing about webtoons I, you know, I don't follow comics news all that much Especially not DC Comics news because it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with my material anymore. My, you know, subject matter that I cover, the projects I work on, it's not very DC-centric anymore. So, don't know a whole lot about what's going on in, you know, current day. But if DC is actually stepping out of, like, their proprietary comfort zone and putting these comics into an application that people are already using, that's smart. That is smart. That's like, you know, newsstand. You Put comics where people are, not where they have to go. Everybody's going to go food shop, and Everybody's got to stop to get gas. If you go into those places and they have comic books there, more people are going to see them. So to use an already established platform where people already are accustomed to receiving digital comics to promote your comics, I mean, that seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Now, the story that Jason tells us about, about uh, the Bat Family whatever, is, uh, you know, maybe not going to rock your socks. uh, (laughs) But uh, that goes back to, you know, an old complaint that I have about DC, where they care more about the brand than the characters in the stories. So it stands to reason that that's just going to be what they do. Now, from what I'm hearing about the story, it reminds me a lot of uh, the Little Gotham series that came out. I don't remember when it came out. Within the past ten years, I would assume. But very cutesy stories. Uh, you know, it's the Bat family, and they're mostly in mundane situations. It was a lot of fun. I don't know that I'd want that all the time. But as, you know, like, uh, like Jason put it, as a diversion, why not? You know, you could do far worse. So yeah, thumbs up to, to DC there. That's a really good idea. Uh, back to Jason, he says, As for how to publish these physically for the lovable Luddites to lay in their long boxes... I suggest a technology even older than the old comic book. The Papyrus Scroll. (laughs) Hey, if you're going to be retro, be retro. And now I'm picturing the uh, CGC people trying to fashion a tube to grade the uh, papyruses. I mean, how do you get a 9.6? Which I think is like the score of every single new book. I don't know. Uh, Jason continues. This is discussing the head of X departing. He says, thesis statement. The whole hickman krakoa hox story feels to me like an indie idea grafted onto the Marvel Mutant universe. This is both a good and a bad thing. Good that it injected much-needed life into mutantdom. Good that there are so many people who got to read it than if Hickman had published it at Boom or Dark Horse or Substack. Good that the ideas have had so much more resonance with us because they're being applied to Charles and Eric and Kurt and Jean rather than some random new characters who we've never heard of. But bad in that there was always going to be pushback from Marvel to file off the rough edges and to spin things out inter- Oh, you gotta use a word that my lazy tongue can't get around. Interminably. Yes, to try and wring every last nickel out of the idea. I've largely enjoyed what we've gotten, but I can't help but wonder what what it would have been like if Hickman had truly been allowed free reign and to fully implement his original three-act plan. We're already seeing the post-Hickman era in the new volume of the flagship X-Men title. As one astute reviewer put it, what we're getting is, quote, straightforward superheroics. I think I know that guy. Which is fine, I guess. And I'm sure that there are X-Fans who are deeply relieved to get this return to their comfort zone. But I came for the weird stuff, damn it. For something different and a little dangerous. Hickman hasn't even left yet, and I'm already missing him And while I, you know, haven't been 100%, you know, gaga over the the Hickman run And uh, what he's introduced I do agree that the story should have went the way he envisioned it Uh, The three-act story, the whole thing, do it, you know Do it the way he planned If that's the story you bought, then that's the story you tell But, um, you know, as you said, Marvel likes to bloat things (laughs) They're going to stretch things as far as they can go And also, I feel like this run is the victim of maybe two different things. Uh, First, it's the amount of trust I think Marvel has in their creators. You know, Marvel is pretty notorious for handing the keys to the castle over to folks who will... Ultimately just decide to pick up and leave Whether it's to go to DC Whether it's to do an indie thing Whether it's to go to do TV and movies And I mean, that's a creator's prerogative, right? But I think Marvel has a case of Once bitten, twice shy And, you know, I always go back to the Grant Morrison uh, model Where he made some huge changes to the X-Men Huge, monumental changes in the line And uh, pretty much was the straw that stirred the drink there For, uh, you know, half a decade Then he left And uh, Marvel were not happy about that, especially the way he chose to do so. And so they kind of backpedaled and, for lack of a better term, unwrote a lot of his story. You know, really took the oomph out of uh, a lot of what he built toward. And I think we could probably compare, you know, a good deal of the Hickman run to the Morrison run in that it, it made some pretty seismic changes to... Not only the future, but to the past, you know The lore has been changed, and it's One of those things that can be really hard to walk back Which, I mean, that's the Morrison thing There was a lot of stuff introduced there that it would have been hard to walk back If Marvel didn't just decide to You know, sweep it under a rug And of course back then, you know, as Morrison going to DC Now there's a lot more opportunities for writers out there You know, I don't know that exclusivity contracts Are as in vogue as they were Back in the mid-2000s, or Maybe, I mean, I'm sure they still are a thing, but I don't know if they're as attractive anymore as, as they were back in the mid-2000s, where it's like you have guaranteed work from one of the comics companies before Hollywood realized, ooh, we can milk this stuff too. You know, now we've got all these streaming platforms, we've got all these studios vying for content. It's a much more fruitful time to be a creator, so I think maybe Marvel is a little nervous about that. Uh, The other thing I think this is a victim of is also movie-related. Rumors persist that the mutants are being added to the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, which means that when and if that happens, I think we could probably guess it's going to be a more traditional take on the X-Men, and it's going to have to be something that they can easily revert back to in the comics in order to maybe synergize off of that. Now, depending on what the original three-act structure was, maybe that just doesn't fit into uh, Marvel's grand plan or grand vision for what uh, the X-Men will be in the, the cinematic universe. Now, had Hox Pox hit in, like, 2015, in the midst of the Marvel temper tantrum, I think we would have gotten a more pure take on the Hickman plan because the mutants were not really on Marvel's radar so much. And I don't think they cared <laughs> if they were being published or not. <laughs> I'm sure they cared, of course, but they certainly weren't uh, top priority. Then again, if we were to go back to 2015, I'm thinking that this story was probably um, originally kind of earmarked for a Legion of Superheroes tale, or uh, as we heard the rumors, it might have been an Eternals story that uh, Marvel decided to pass on. Because, you know, movies. Anyway, Jason continues, talking about the death of a hero. He says, tell me if you heard this story before. A semi-beloved magical Marvel character is shockingly and mysteriously murdered. A team of investigators leap in to investigate, but before they get far, the dead character shockingly and mysteriously reappears. But in a younger form, lacking recollection not only of their murder, but also years' worth of their own history and relationships. Is this the pretender Wanda in the Trial of Magneto? Well, yes. But it's also Doctor Strange in the death of Doctor Strange. Okay, I'm doing a bit, a tiny bit of cherry-picking here, but the plot lines in the two concurrent events really are confusingly similar. Maybe this is Marvel ingeniously and intentionally setting up a mega-crossover and these murders are so similar on purpose. Or maybe no one at this godforsaken company ever talks to each other. Uh, I, I take B. I'm, I'm thinking B. You know me, I don't think that even the X-Men writers talk to one another Except when they absolutely have to And you can't convince me that some of them are even bothering to read any of the other books Because they, they almost couldn't be Jason wraps up with So until I decide what to do about this comic book with Jerry Duggan's name on it That I found lodged in the craw of an expiring spotted owl <laughs> Make my next lapsed Oh, I love it <laughs> That's great <laughs> Well, uh, enough, enough said, right? <laughs> enough said But uh, thank you Thank you for that Jason And also thank you so much For taking the time to write in It's always an absolute treat To hear from you I always love your insights So uh, like you said Relevance and timeliness be damned It's uh, always a good day When I hear from you So thanks again From here let's hop into Our shout out section here Where I thank the folks Who interacted, engaged And signal boosted this program On social media Now over on Twitter I want to thank Jesse D. Young Ed Moore Walt Nealand, Billy D. Dave Schultz Baby Mammu, and Longbox Crusade. On Facebook, I want to thank Andrew Franklin, Pat Sampson, Jesse D. Young, Jeremiah, Walt Neeland, and Billy D. Thank you all so much for all of your help and support. And speaking of support, let's hop over to the patrons at patreon.com slash xlapsed. I want to thank Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Neeland, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse D. Young, Damian, Peter McPherson, and Mark Jagger. You are all the best, and your support means the absolute world to me, so thank you all so much. Now, before we cut out of here, this is a Monday episode, which means we have a Monday ritual to go through. We're going to talk about this week in X, and uh, let's get into it here on Marvel Unlimited. Today, we have three books drop, and only two that we covered on the show. It's going to be uh, Marauders number 22, New Mutants number 20, and then for completionist's sake, X-Men Legends number 5. Now, on shelves this Wednesday, we got four issues and a trade. Now, the first book we got is the biggie. We got Inferno number two, all six covers worth of it. I'm almost surprised they're not soliciting the second print on the very same day. Uh, Marauders number 25 has four covers. Sword number nine has three covers. Wolverine number 17 has four covers. And then we have Children of the Atom volume one, trade paperback. And the volume one there kind of sounds like a threat, doesn't it? I kid, I kid, I didn't dislike Children of the Atom I just thought it was uh, a little stretched out And maybe not too satisfying of a read But I didn't hate it So if if you haven't read it And you got 20 bucks to drop Here's your opportunity But that is going to do it for us today I got a lot more time out of this episode than I thought I really thought this was going to be A short one because of the story we discussed uh, Almost a half hour ago And again, about that story I didn't like it. I still like the creators involved, I just didn't think this was a good story. If you feel differently, I would love to hear your thoughts. You all know me. When it comes to opinions, I usually value my own least of all. But if you'd like to talk to me about that or anything else, I would invite you to do so. I'm pretty easy to find. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrissoninfiniteearths.com. Our little Facebook group is 90s X-Men. Of course, the complete audio archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. You can find that any way you find noise on the internet. And, of course, we have the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed. Lots of exclusive content, behind-the-scenes stuff, if I can even call it that. Some first-run programming, as well as, um, well, we're going to get into some deep dives on the sales charts pretty soon. So if uh, that's your thing, hey, then that's a good place to go. I hope to see you there. But with all that out of the way, I would like to thank you all so much for taking the time to listen today. I know it wasn't... uh, necessarily an easy one, and I tell you what, it wasn't an easy one for me to deliver either. When I don't like a book, I feel really, really bad about it, so I struggle. I struggle even more than usual, so thank you for sticking around, if in fact you did. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya!